Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to Behind the Knife. Continuing in our series of the Annals of Surgery Journal Club, we have as our guest, Dr. Francesco Squizzato. Uh, he is a vascular surgeon at the University of Padova in Italy, and he joins us today to talk about his paper about surgical ergonomics. Curran, why don't you give us a summary of the paper? Sure. So the authors, uh, Dr. Squizzato, Dr. Silvia Giaggio, and, and their team conducted a multi-center randomized trial of a comprehensive prevention program for work-related musculoskeletal injuries among a diverse group of surgeons in Italy. These cluster randomization, so they randomized six surgical divisions across three hospitals uh, for a total of 141 uh, study participants, and they had a two-pronged intervention. Part one of the intervention was modifying the work environment in the operating room according to ergonomic principles, and part two of the intervention was teaching surgeons a series of exercises to do before and after their cases. They also, as part of the study, did some logistic regressions to measure risk factors for work-related musculoskeletal disorders at baseline, and they found that in terms of their results, Surgeons who got the randomized intervention saw statistically significant improvements in general health, lower back pain, and analgesic requirements at six months. They did have some improvements in neck pain, shoulder pain, and overall pain intensity, but those did not meet statistical significance. So with that, I guess we'll get started. Uh, Dr. Squizzato, can you tell us what your motivation was for doing the study? Uh, hello to everybody. So the motivation was essentially that during my everyday, everyday activity, uh, I always have friends that uh, are complaining with uh, muscle skeletal disorders because they have neck pain, shoulder pain, lumbar pain. And also when you look at the literature, you can realize that uh, more than 75% of surgeons worldwide suffer from muscle skeletal disorders at least one time in their life. So it's truly a, a real problem for our job. Uh, and this motivates us to to find if there was a, a, any any kind of intervention that could prevent or reduce this incidence. So in your own words, can you describe to us what the interventions actually were? What were these exercises? How long do they take? And, you know, what time of the day or, you know, at one, what point before or after surgery uh, were these exercises enacted by the surgeons? Uh, so the exercise... Uh, proposing the program consists in a series of no resistance active movements and then uh, uh, another series of static stretching uh, exercise that are performed for five muscle groups, including neck, shoulders and back that are the bodily areas that are most affected by uh, muscle skeletal disorders. And we advise to perform this exercise just before and after the, the, the surgical intervention. And the key point is that these exercises are very simple uh, to be performed. They do not require any uh, type of equipment uh, and they, uh, they require only a few minutes. So uh, it's not so demanding to perform this exercise. And in the paper, you talked about having the physical therapist actually teach these and uh, to the group or to the individual surgeons. And I was wondering if it was just by the physical therapist in person and the handouts, or were there also videos that went along with this? 
uh, our key point was to have the physical therapist at least for uh, for the few for the first few days in order to instruct uh, the surgeons on how to perform the exercise and also uh, a booklet with uh, some sample exercise was uh, given to each surgeon uh, but then uh, the the program could uh, be followed independently from all other surgeons because as i said earlier it, it implies very simple exercise. Can you walk us through some of the ergonomic interventions that you applied in the operating room? For instance, you, the article mentions use of the foot pedal or lead aprons and footwear and these anti-fatigue mats. So so all in all, what are the sort of the interventions that you made and what are some best practices that we can learn if we don't have the luxury of a physical therapist modifying our environment? Uh, yes, uh, that's an interesting point, actually, because uh, I realized that in many cases, uh, surgeons are not so, uh, do not care so much about the ergonomics because they are too focused on the surgical activity. But uh, this is very important to, to prevent uh, musculoskeletal uh, disorders. Uh, so, for example, for the foot pedal, this should be uh set in front of the nominant foot and a key issue is that is as not to remain constantly positioned uh on the foot on it in order to avoid fatigue and also uh the position should be set in order to allow maximal dorsal flexion of the tibiotarsal joint of 25 degree and regarding the the lead apron this could be related in particular to neck pain uh, and uh, uh shoulder pain and uh, it may be advisable to, to use a two-pieces lead apron instead of a single-piece uh, lead apron. Or an alternative uh, is to use a lumbar belt in order to support the lower back. And uh, another point may be uh, the footwear. Uh, since workers uh, should wear flat shoes uh, with uh, um, heels of no more than two inches. And... Uh, you probably say something about uh, anti-fatigue mats. Uh, these are able to reduce muscle activity of the lower limbs during the procedure, in particular when you have to uh, maintain a static posture for a long time uh, because they work as uh, shock absorbing. However, not all the operating room have these mats, but this is it is possible to reproduce a similar uh, a similar situation uh, with the specific soft shoe insole. So uh, together, uh, the, this uh, ergonomics uh, uh, suggestion uh, may be useful to prevent uh, uh, to prevent some of musculoskeletal disorders. Are you aware of any debate about that soft cushioning with either the insoles or the mats? Because I don't know any literature on this, but I had heard from some attendings that there was some question about how that soft padding affected the lower back. But actually, in our experience, this um, the use of this anti soft uh, anti fatigue mats. Uh, uh, was effective in uh, in uh, reducing the the, um, uh, the 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 rate of musculoskeletal disorder, in particular for for lumbar pain. Probably uh, it uh, it does not work alone, but it has to be taken together with other aspects uh, considered in the ergonomic intervention. 
Okay. Now, based on your study and, and based on your expertise in, in ergonomics, I have two questions. One is, what shoes do you wear? And, and two is, if you had to prioritize three of those OR-focused ergonomic interventions that you know anybody could, t- could take into their own operating room, what would those uh, three things be? <laughs> uh, so regarding the shoes, probably the, the only uh, advice that, that I could uh, provide is to to wear comfortable shoes uh, with with a uh, heels no more than two inches. That that's all. Uh, you do not have to wear some kind of specific shoes. Uh, all you have to do is to be comfortable. And regarding the three better choices, in my opinion, uh, the first one is the use of a lumbar belt belt if you have to wear a lead apron. The second one is to be careful regarding the screen position when you perform, for example, laparoscopic surgery. Mm. And and then the third one probably is uh, the table eighth, the eighth of the operating table, because you have to be careful to position the table in order not to stress too much the muscle of the uh, of the shoulders and of the back. Excellent, excellent. To go to go back to the shoes, I feel like everyone has their everyone has their own favorite shoe choice, and everyone has a strong reason for choosing it. Uh, in the U.S., at least, I see a lot of people wearing massive, massive clogs. I, I feel like they're well over two inches in height. Do you think those? You know, do you think those are a bad idea? The surgical clogs, Dansko's, so forth. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, as I said earlier, the, the only thing you have to do is to stay comfortable. So if as long as you are comfortable, uh, it's not a bad idea. Um, now, it sounds like the intervention was overall you know, quite successful and quite popular. So was there any crossover or contamination from the control group into the treatment group based on surgeons teaching each other or, or sort of learning these techniques on their own? Um, of course, we can't exclude 100% that there was any uh, contamination between groups because uh, some of the uh, surgical units were in the, within the same hospital. But uh, what I can say is that the study was specifically designed to reduce as much as possible uh, this contamination bias uh, with a cluster randomization, uh, considering as randomization units uh, the surgical team instead of the single surgeon. Um, this choice in particular was because uh, part of the program consisted, uh, of course, or on ergonomics application that does necessarily to be applied to the whole surgical team, uh, not to the single surgeon. As we all know, uh, uh, surgery is, is, a, is a teamwork. So one of the interesting findings was that being in practice for more than 20 years was protective. And we were wondering why you think that might be. Uh, One of the thoughts Karin had was that maybe it was a survivorship bias that those who had more severe symptoms left practice and therefore the ones that were left standing more than 20 years didn't have as as many symptoms. Do you think that may be the reason or is there something else? Oh, yes, that's an interesting point, actually. And uh, a survivor effect, as you said, may be a possible explanation. Uh, but uh, you have also to consider the general environment where the study took place, uh, because at least in our country, uh, the oldest surgeon 
usually is the one who operates as chief operator. And this means basically two things. The first one is that uh, he may not take part to the whole duration of the surgical procedure, but only to the most critical part, as for example, performing an anastomosis. And the second thing is that uh, he is the one who have the chance to choose the table position, the screen position, and more in general, all the env environment setting in the operating room, while other operators, usually younger, have to adapt uh, their position to, to, to the oldest one choices. So also this one may be a possible explanation. So what is the what is the solution to that issue? Because no matter what, someone's going to have to compromise. And so do you think that we should be alternating that, you know, the trainee gets to adjust the, the height of the table to them for one operation and then the senior surgeon to the other? Or it's purely based on who's the primary surgeon or how, how do we go about kind of addressing that? Yeah, alternating may be a good choice uh, for everyone, uh, but also a, a problem which, uh, uh, which uh, another problem in my opinion is that we should uh, increase our general awareness about this problem uh, because if everyone in the surgical unit is aware of the possibility of musculoskeletal muscle disorders uh, in other surgeons, not only. Uh, in the chief operator, uh, then everyone uh, will be more careful, not only on its own position, but uh, also to other one's position. And uh, that will benefit uh, uh, of all operators. That makes sense. I think, you know, in my experience, just, ha just being mindful of this and, you know, for instance, for the shortest person who's operating, getting them enough stools so that they're comfortable and I feel like there's generally a way to to make everyone everyone in the case comfortable as long as you're just mindful about it at the start of the case. Uh, pr probably it's not so common because uh, everyone acts as its own experience. So uh, uh, if if uh, the, the shortest surgeon is make is made comfortable by using, for example, uh, 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 an eighth under his foot, uh, that's a good thing, obviously, but. It's not. It's not always possible. So uh, we should be able to increase our awareness about uh, uh, the, this patient's, this uh, surgeon's safety. And, and related uh, to that question, um, I was surprised to see that in all your tables of, of risk factors, uh, females consistently had the highest risk of musculoskeletal disorders. So I was wondering why you think that is. And are there unique steps that women surgeons can take to reduce their risk of a musculoskeletal disorder? Yes, that's another interesting point. Uh, and this is not new, actually. Uh, but also in this study, a uh, female had a higher chance of having, uh, in particular, neck and back pain. Uh, this could be related to the fact that surgery has traditionally represented a uh, male-dominant job. And so uh, all the general assets of the OR may better fit to men anthropometrics rather than uh, females measures. And also uh, another uh, explanation, uh, at least in our country, 
is that women are less likely to to operate as chief operators. So also in this case, they usually have to adapt their position in the OR to, to male surgeons' preferences. What I can suggest, I, I, I may suggest to uh, perform the physical exercise that we described in the program to be careful to try to be comfortable in the operating room, to wear the comfortable shoes, and also to, to perform physical activity outside the hospital. In fact, we have to remember that according also to our preliminary analysis, physical activity was the, the strongest uh, protective factor from any kind of muscle cell disorder. So everyone should be encouraged to perform physical activity outside uh, their, their daily uh, surgeon activity. Uh, related to that, did uh, did women respond better to your intervention than men, or was there any any difference in treatment effect? That would be interesting to see, but unfortunately, we did not have the chance to uh, verify this aspect in our study since it was not powered enough to to perform this kind of subgroup uh, analysis. You brought up the point about the physical activity, and I think some people might bring up the conversation of, you know, working long hours during the week and finding that time, making that time. Obviously, it's a personal decision to make, but it also is difficult sometimes. However, you know, you guys did have decent compliance as far as the surgeons in the intervention group. And overall, this seems like fairly simple steps to take. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on how difficult would it be to introduce these interventions in a more widespread fashion throughout uh, surgical subspecialties and kind of globally? Uh, And also your thoughts on whether it is necessary to have that physical therapist uh, to introduce these interventions. And one thing that, you know, I always thought might be interesting is having a dedicated physical therapist for surgery departments to basically just solely go to the ORs, make sure things are ergonomically correct, and then uh, introduce these exercises to surgeons before and after operating. Regarding the applica- uh, the, the uh, more wide applicability of the project, uh, one of the key of this project was to keep the exercise as simple as possible in order to uh, maintain an, an high uh, compliance and to encourage surgeon to perform uh, uh, at least uh, one of uh, of, of this uh, exercise. And actually, in our experience, the compliance was pretty high. So I think that it would not be so uh, difficult to to perform this exercise. It's only uh, a matter of state of mind. I mean, it, it, everyone has only to to realize that this is one thing that could be uh, really useful. So uh, you don't have to take uh, too much time to do it. Uh, and uh, it's not so so difficult to introduce in your daily practice. Uh, regarding the role of the physical therapist, um, in our experience, uh, the exercises were, were mediated by a physical therapist. So uh, she is the one who took care of uh, explaining to surgeon how to perform the exercise and how to improve uh, 
the ergonomics. But uh, I think that, uh, of course, a supervised program uh, would uh, be uh, the, 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 the ideal thing, but uh, also a non-supervised uh, program would be better than nothing. Now we have the we have the pictures and the diagrams of the exercises um, in your appendix from the article, and we'll certainly put that in the show notes for this podcast. But I was wondering if you could describe them out loud for our listeners, people who might be you know in the car or something like that, and not able to look at the diagrams right now. Oh, okay. So basically, uh, uh, every exercise is made up of two phases. Uh, the first one uh, is uh, a phase of no resistance uh, active exercise and then uh, a phase two of static uh, stretching. And uh, for example, for the neck, uh, uh, phase one is to uh, perform simple uh, flexion and extension and rotation of the neck. And then a second phase of static uh, flexion in order to perform stretching uh, of the, of the uh, muscle of the, of the back. And regarding the shoulders, also in this case, we have a first phase uh, of uh, depression and elevation of the shoulders, and then um, a, a second phase uh, of uh, stretching of the latissimus. Then also for uh, upper and lower back, and the scheme is always the same. And you have to consider that uh, together, these exercises are easy to perform. They address the most affected areas uh, uh, which are interested by um, work-related muscle skeletal disorders. All of them uh, can be performed standing up, so you don't have to lie down or to sit down to perform this exercise. And you do not need any type of equipment for any of those. Uh, so. Uh, in a few minutes, uh, you have performed all this scheme that, that is uh, explained in this figure. Can you clarify uh, the, the phase one and, and phase two of this? Is it, you know, do you do all the phase one exercises and then all of the phase two exercises? Or do you do phase one for the neck and then phase two for the neck and so forth? And do you do the um, same? Do you, do you do everything in the same sequence before and after the operation? Uh, yeah, it, it, you every time perform uh, phase one and then phase two, and the order is uh, first the neck, then uh, neck and shoulder, shoulder and upper back, and then lower back. So the, there is always the same order of exercise in a uh, standardized protocol. Well, that about that wraps up. Our questions for you, um, as we all know, you know these musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal problems are a real issue for for surgeons, you know, in the U.S. and abroad, trainees and attendings, and basically everyone across the board. So, uh, we are really grateful to have these interventions in hand, and we look forward to using them at our next case. So, thank you for joining us, Dr. Scusato. Thank you to you. Until next time, dominate the day.